I decided to select this text for today's meditation because I believe it is very relevant for the times we are living in and because it also exposes certain sins uh, that I am very often guilty of. As a matter of fact, I tend to think that we are all prone to falling into the sinful attitude that is both condemned and properly dealt with in this passage. As you probably notice in the initial reading of our text, the attitude that is condemned at rectif and rectified here is that of fear and pessimism. And the first thing I want you to notice is that fear and pessimism tend to grow when we look at our own frailty and our enemy's might. Please uh, look with me at verse 17. If thou shalt say in thine heart, these nations are more than I, how can I dispossess them? As you can see, Israel was about to engage in the very difficult and dangerous task of going to the promised land in order to take possession of it. And they were supposed to utterly destroy all their enemies. No pagan altar was to be left standing. No pagan nation was supposed to remain. Now, we need to consider that this was both difficult and very dangerous especially because the, the Israelites uh, were a smaller army than those nations taken together, as God himself mentions in verse one of this chapter, where he describes them as seven nations greater than thou. And on top of that, those armies were not just bigger, but also stronger, uh, as we likewise read in verse one, where they are described as mightier than thou. So, as you will notice, from a merely human point of view, failure was a real possibility for Israel. And the Lord, who knows the human heart better than ourselves, anticipates what kinds of thoughts were going to emerge in Israel's mind. They would focus mainly in two things. Their enemies might, which we see in the words, these nations are more than I, and their own weakness and powerlessness, which is very clear in the following words. How can I dispossess them? So here you have, this is a perfect recipe for creating fear and pessimism. It is almost infallible. And you and I have followed this recipe many times, haven't we? I just want you to think about one example. Uh, what about this very month? We are in what, in what this world calls Pride Month. And sinners are openly celebrating their rebellion against the creator. We look around and see an amazing army. They seem to be many more than us. And they've got the media on their side. Uh, they've got the, le the legislation on their side. They've got the educational machinery on their side. They are supported by wicked international organizations and have lots of financial resources and they are threatening to devour us. So we look at them and then we look at ourselves and what do we see in ourselves? We seem to be a handful of individuals uh, who are considered to be weird dinosaurs who know nothing about life. When the media talks about us, it is mostly to deride us. 
uh, we are not attractive to this wicked world. And on top of that, we are painfully aware of our own sin and need for growth in grace. How often have we failed the Lord? And then the devil comes and he wants to harass us with doubts, telling us many lies and trying to steal our peace and comfort. So we are cast down. Now, I have a question for you. Is it logical for us to be cast down? Well, in a certain sense, it is. But we need to watch out because this is the devil's logic. Uh, if these two things were the only uh, true things, if they were the whole truth, then it would make perfect sense to be cast down. But as you know, Satan is very subtle. And, and he normally doesn't come to tell us lies that are easy for us to spot. He is an expert at telling things that are true, but then he twists them uh, by hiding all the things that are also true and not only true, but even required if we want to properly interpret the things that he's telling us. And that is exactly what he's doing when he gets us to only see our enemy's power and our own weakness. Those things are true, but praise the Lord, they are not the whole truth. You and I need the whole truth because God's recipe for this sinful condition is looking at his works and word. Uh, please look with me at verses 18 and 20 of this, of this chapter. Here we read, thou shall not be afraid of them, but shall well remember what the Lord thy God did unto Pharaoh and unto all Egypt. Moreover, the Lord thy God will send the hornet among them until they that are left and hide themselves from thee be destroyed. So what Israel needed to do if they were afraid was very simple. They needed to remember God's works and word. On the one hand, they needed to look back and remember the wonders the Lord had done for them. They were great wonders. We must never forget that the Exodus story was real. The Lord showed all his power in delivering his slave people from, from under the tyranny of one of the most powerful nations back then. And on the other hand, Israel needed to look forward and fix their gaze on God's word. They were not uncertain as to the outcome of the approaching battles. God had told them that he would send the hornet and he would see to it that all their enemies would have to hide until they were destroyed. So it was not presumptuous for the Israelites to think that they would have the victory because they had been promised the victory. And, and in the very same way, you and I need to look at God's works and word. Sometimes people say that things have never been worse, but that is very false. Has the church never faced adversity before? My dear brethren, are we now under the same slavery that Israel was under in Egypt? And yet the Lord delivered them. Or are we being thrown to the lions 
like our brothers and sisters in the Roman Empire. And yet that empire fell, fell, but the church is still here. Or was our own heart any better, any softer than the heart of any sinner you will see today celebrating his sin? No. But the Lord broke our own hardness and brought us to himself. So do we think that his arm is not strong anymore? And, and we also need to look at his word. I will just quote a simple text as an example. It is found in Psalm 2, verses uh, 7 to 8. It says, I will declare the decree. The Lord has said unto me, thou art my son. This day have I begotten thee. Ask of me, and I will give you the heathen for thine inheritance and the uttermost parts of the earth for thine possession. So, do you see, my dear brother, my dear sister, that your Savior has inherited the heathen, that the uttermost parts of the earth are his possession? Who is then winning? Is the world winning? No, Christ is winning. And isn't it true that looking at God's works and word changes everything? As a matter of fact, when we remember his works and words, we want to see who he is and our fear and pessimism disappear. And please look with me at verse 21 in Deuteronomy 7. There we read, thou shalt not be affrighted at them, for the Lord thy God is among you, a mighty God and terrible. And I want to especially stress those last five words because they are a sum of what we learn when we look at God's works and word. We see that our God is a mighty God and terrible. And we should especially consider the last word, terrible. That means that God inspires fear, even terror. Now, the question is in whom? In whom? Well, not in his children. We do need to fear him. But we fear him with a reverential fear, with a filial fear, not with the kind of fear that is slavish, that thinks that he's about to destroy us. The ones that need to fear God that way are his enemies, his enemies. So do you see what this means? We began today by talking about how much we are afraid many times because of what, what's going on, right? But you know what? The ones that are supposed to be afraid are Christ's enemies. The ones who are doomed are those who are at enmity with the Lamb. Nobody can prevail when they fight against Christ. Yes, our enemies are powerful, but what about our God? What about our God? He is really powerful. Who is a match for Christ? So what is the implication of all this for our prayers today? I believe this means that we must pray with confidence and that we must pray even boasting in our Savior. Now, I know that normally speaking, the word boasting is not very good, uh, but boasting is not bad in and of itself. It all depends on what you boast in. 
if we vote in ourselves, that would be proud and very wicked. But I am talking about boasting in God, boasting in his promises, in his might. I am talking about telling him how much we trust that he is going to win this war. I am talking about telling him that we are not going to let the enemy paralyze us with fear, for we know that he is in our side. I am talking about the same thing that David had in mind when he said these words in Psalm 34 verses 1 and 2. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul shall make her boast in the Lord. The humble shall hear thereof and be glad. Do the wicked really think that they have reasons to be proud? They don't know what they are talking about. You and I are the ones who have reasons to boast. And we do not boast in ourselves, but we boast in our great Savior. Just as Martin Luther, Luther put it so well, did we in our own strength confide, our striving would be losing. Were not the right man on our side, the man of God's own choosing. You ask who that may be? Christ Jesus, it is he. Lord Sabaoth, his name, from age to age the same, and he must win the battle. And though this world with devil's field should threaten to undo us, we will not fear, for God has willed his truth to triumph through us. The prince of darkness grim, we tremble not for him. His rage we can endure, for lo, his doom is sure. One little word shall fail him. So let us all say amen to that and make our boast in the Lord as we pray, because he will truly win the battle. Amen.